right. Yeah. All right. Good to be here. And uh, this is the third of the uh, talks I've been doing over this weekend. Um, and I hope, with God's help, that we'll be able to weave some things together, really, in a way, with tonight. Um, some themes will come together. Uh, as Natalie said, um, Marion and I lived in Hastings for many years. In fact, I lived here for 50 years. Marion didn't, because she's much younger than me. But I lived here for 50 years, um, and we left in 2002, so you can do the maths. Um, and um, we were involved not only from the beginning of this church, and I was involved in the leadership from the beginning, and was leading it as the senior pastor from 1988 till 2002. And so when I've been preaching over this weekend and praying and preparing it, and I, I felt God really prompted me to bring words that uh, actually I have preached before here many years ago, and that's particularly true of the two words this morning and this evening. And this evening I want to talk about taking the city, and I'm thinking of Hastings for God, taking it for God. I'm, I'm going to preach from jo- uh, Joshua chapter 6 in a minute, and it's something I certainly have preached before here, Um, 20 years ago I know I would have done because it's something that God really was speaking to us about as we bought this building and came into what was then called Boundaries. But it was bigger than just us as a church. It's about the the town of Hastings. And I believe God really wants us all to sort of get something tonight. I think to apply it at a number of levels, to apply it to ourselves at one level, but also to our church where we worship. I know it's not everybody's here uh, tonight is, is from King's Church. That's great, actually. Welcome to you. If you're not, it's a particularly warm welcome. But also apply it to us if we are from this church. In other words, a, there's a sort of application at a number of levels. I hope we can make sense of that as we go through. I want to read then, and we read with you, it might take a few moments to read it, because I want to get the most out of it, what must be considered one of the, I think, top five exciting stories of the Old Testament, up there with David and Goliath. And it's the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. So I'd like you to open your Bibles if you've got one. I don't know if you can see them. Uh, can you see them? That's all very modern and trendy here, isn't it? Tonight? <laughs> Dark and smoky. And, uh, yeah, I hope I'm, I'm a bit in a fog. But I know, I know it's great, and it's not, I'm not anti it, but, it's, you know, I'm old-fashioned. Really. I think it's great in the worship, but then it's a bit hard when, you, when you're preaching. But I'm sure it'll be right. Right, let's get the Bibles open. <laughs> I think I can see it. Getting old. Turn to Joshua 6, and let's just enjoy this story. Actually, we're going to start. The Battle of Jericho starts really, in chapter 5. And to get the real impact of what happens there, you've got to just even just glance at one or two facts in 5 and, and realise, you a little bit of imagination with it, and realise what's happening. Joshua has led the people of Israel over the Jordan. That was pretty spectacular. Now they're in the Promised Land, which is an amazing move forward after those years in the wilderness. And he's starting a campaign to take this land for God and establish God's rule there. And he started it in a very unusual way. In chapter 5, what they've done, and the men amongst us tonight will probably appreciate this more keenly than the others, all the males have been circumcised, which is a very odd way to start a military campaign, isn't it? 
And it says in about verse 8, yes, it is verse 8, the whole nation had been circumcised and they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. So use your imagination. There's a lot of very unhappy men in Israel. And I guess Joshua's amongst them, I don't know. It's not exactly a barrel of laughs in the camp there. Every male is not in a happy place. At the same time, the manna has stopped coming. Uh, you know, the manna is God's provision every day. Now, in a way, that's good news, but like most things, there's two sides to it. The good news is they're in the promised land, and as it tells us in verse 12, they, they're going to eat the produce of the land. Well, that's good. But actually, it's been ever so easy having manna. I mean, it's there every morning, and you eat it. And if you've been brought up like that for 40 years, which these people have, it is a bit of a culture shock to have to go out and cook your own food and forage for your own, uh, you know, dinner. So I wonder if the atmosphere in the camp was actually a bit awkward and a bit maybe flat, shall we say. Now, Joshua is out reconnoitering, I think, and thinking about this major battle. Jericho is massive. Archaeologists say that the walls were probably wide enough to drive two chariots around the top. What's that? Nearly as wide as the A21, I reckon. Well, in places. <laughs> in the good bits. So, so, so it's actually a pretty thick wall, and it's all around this fortress. This is pretty intimidating. It is challenging. The people aren't in a very excited mood. Certainly the guys aren't. And actually, this massive wall-to-heaven fortress is in front of you. What should you do? That's the state of mind, I think, of Joshua when we pick up the story in verse 13. And as we read it, it almost can send a tingle down your spine. Listen. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, I would suggest, thinking about it all, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We're going to read on in a moment, so don't close your Bible. Joshua did so. This battle started with a remarkable encounter. It's remarkable. Suddenly, the whole perspective changes. Joshua has this strange meeting with this man, listen, who turns out to be God, because he ends up worshipping, and that, well, in fact, he's told to worship. That is not wrong. As I told you this morning, if you were here, angels don't receive worship. They don't want worship, they don't receive it. You can find evidence of that in the Bible. This man not only receives it, he says, take the shoes off, you're on holy ground. And Joshua falls in worship. He's meeting God. But how curious, when he first meets this man, he doesn't even recognise him as anything like an angel. He actually thinks he might be a soldier from Jericho. He actually thinks he might be a Jericho armed soldier, perhaps out, you know, spying on him. And so his first reaction is to, to hold his sword and say, whose side are you on? Which army are you? And suddenly, something changes. And he says, neither. <laughs> 
I've come as the commander of the Lord's army. This is so important. The whole thing changes and Joshua realises in what was quite a short space of time that this is not just a human endeavour. This is not just a human battle. This is something God's on the march. These are the wars of the Lord. The battle is the Lord and actually he's been allowed to line up on God's side. Now I tell you, that is how you all must see what God's called you to do in Hastings. It's a big challenge. And we can get a bit flat and a bit tired and a bit sore just even doing the right thing, which is what they've been doing in the chapter here. But I tell you tonight, I want you to get this. You are on the side of Jesus. Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus has a heart for Hastings. Jesus wants to see the captives set free. Jesus wants to see the strongholds in Hastings come down. Amen? The enemy strongholds. These are enemy strongholds. They're physical ones here. We're looking at spiritual ones. We're in a different age, the new covenant. And actually, the spiritual warfare aspect is more intense, more clear for us than even for these days. And it became clear that Joshua had to start by seeing this was God's work and he had the privilege of being called up in what the Lord was doing. Now, I genuinely believe there's a parallel between this character he meets, the commander of the Lord's army, and Jesus. Jesus, when he was born as Jesus of Nazareth, was the incarnation of God the Son. But the Trinity didn't start at Bethlehem. There's always been three persons, one God, one being, three persons. And when God manifested himself as a man, which he does quite often in the Old Testament, relatively speaking, He did it in the Garden of Eden, walking with Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden with them. I would dare to say to you, this is a pre-incarnation manifestation of Christ, of God as a man. So it is not stretching the story to say that everything starts with an encounter with Jesus. And that's true of every one of you. With the Jerichos you face personally, the things that just seem impossible, with what we face as the people of God a minority, you know, all the modern cultural pressures we experience and the difficulties we have in the UK and in Hastings, we can look at and it can look at impossible tasks, but remember it all starts with your own personal encounter with Jesus. You need to start from the place of worshipping Jesus. What a good way to start tonight. Worshipping Jesus is the place where it all starts. Don't get strategizing. Don't think, well, how are we going to take this city? Joshua, are we going to tunnel under the walls? Shall we use catapults? Or shall we do a battering ram? What shall we do? And suddenly all of that's irrelevant and he's worshipping God right in front of him. And I want to say to you, if we are going to see Hastings really changed, really taken for Jesus, really taken for Jesus with the gospel, then we have to start from a position of being worshippers. Worshipping Jesus. Really worshipping Jesus. And then let him give us the strategy, which is what happens in the rest of the story. Let's read on. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. 
On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called all the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, the ram's horns, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All the time the trumpets were sounding, all this time. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, the priests took up the ark of the Lord, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, the rear guard followed the ark, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once, returned to the camp, they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same, same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will, not, you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded and the people shouted and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. Now, he got his strategy from the commander of the Lord's army, from what we would say, quite legitimately, from Jesus. It was a heavenly strategy for a heavenly battle. You don't fight the battles of the church and the gospel and taking the hope of the gospel to our needy town. You don't do it with human strategies and films. We do do stuff, like, you know, we have songs and we organise ourselves and have photocopiers and things, but in the end, in the end, it's not those mechanics, it's the something much more spiritual, mysterious. Spiritual weapons for a spiritual warfare. Now, one old writer, you can miss the uh, first uh, screen off, please, uh, Alan, just go over it. One old writer called F.B. Meyer talks about this. He says this, the church's victories against vast pagan systems through the ages rely on her allegiance to the captain, the Lord's host, and the armies of heaven that consequently are released to rout the armies of darkness. That's written 120 years ago. That's not modern. Basically, what really needs to happen is we need to have encounters with Jesus, line up with him, hear from him what to do, and let, as it were, his armies go ahead of us. And it was, if you like, the armies of heaven that really pushed the walls over at Jericho. 
because Joshua was fitting in with a heavenly strategy and fighting a heavenly battle. Now, I'm going to now talk about four of the weapons Joshua used, which are very strange weapons, and I want to draw a parallel with what I believe we need to understand for our task of taking the gospel to this town of Hastings. I believe it really is a prophetic word for us in Hastings. That's exactly how I received it when God gave it to me 20 plus years ago and I preached it and prayed over it and we prayed over it as a church and we will continue to do that. And I just want to refresh and remind you because I think it's very important and it will remind you one or two things we touched yesterday and this morning but it's a different angle and, it, and, it's, and it's a very clear focus for all of us in this town if we're going to move forward and see this town taken for Jesus. The four things I want to talk about. The first one is actually the ark. When Jesus gave this strategy to Joshua, he said, what you're to do if you're going to take this city is you are, you are to carry the ark of the covenant around the city a certain number of times, every day once, then seven times on the last day. So what is that saying to us? What's the lesson for us? Well, very briefly, so you understand, the Ark of the Covenant was a, a wooden box covered in gold and in it there was manna and the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that budded. And it was, had beautiful gold angels carved on the top. But that really wasn't the significance of it. The Ark of the Covenant was where the people of God met with God. They met God. That's where you encountered God. It was his presence amongst them. And it was where they worshipped. It was where, these are the days before the temple was built. It's where you encountered the living God. It's where you met with God. I don't think it is stretching the analogy. In fact, I prophetically believe it's right that what we start with here is an unusual thing. It's about worship. It's about real spirit-filled worship. It's about encountering God. Worship that's not formal, that's not, but is looking for the presence of God. And if we are going to be successful in seeing the gospel come to Hastings, we have got to be true worshippers. The first thing we need to get right, if you like, or to carry in front of us, is a love for the presence of God, a desire to worship him and to meet with him. Now, you might say, well, that's funny because we ought to be thinking all about how we can get the gospel. Yeah, 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 we, did, we do do that. But the first thing is we need to, to meet with God regularly. Amen? And I think you've got to see worship is important. Sometimes people can say, well, is it a bit of a, you know, why do we just have a sing-song for half an hour? Why is it a bit of a, you know, actually they can play it down. And I, I know, sadly, people who, who, who sort of come a bit late on the Sunday morning in our, sort of, in our church or might do here because they, they, oh, it's just the worship. You know, I'm going to come just hear the word or I, I can get up late and have an extra coffee because it's only the worship. That is such a tragic misunderstanding. I would argue that the highest calling you have is to be worshippers. I would argue the people who are going to take Hastings for the gospel are going to be worshippers. They're going to be people who worship in spirit and in truth, who highly value the presence of God, the manifest presence of God amongst them, the tangible sense of God's presence. God loves to be amongst his people. This was about God being amongst them. He loves it. He wants you to want him, if I can put it in that way without being irreverent. He wants you to say, I hunger and thirst for you, Lord. 
I love to be in your presence. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than a thousand, than in, you know, a thousand years elsewhere. All that sort of thing that you find even in the Old Testament, and it certainly needs to go beyond that in our new covenant. We love to be before the Lord in worship, don't we? We are people, we should be people who love worshiping. We love his presence. We love your presence, Lord. We just love your presence. I would say that is first and foremost the weapon, the unusual weapon for taking the city for Jesus. They were worshippers. Now the next one is equally odd and you will all know, or some of you are Hastings, King's Church Hastings, but now I'm going to be able to have a visual illustration of this one. The next one is the ram's horns. And you've seen this ram's horn before because when I preached on this 20 years ago, I think it was Tony with the help from one or two others in the church, who made me a ram's horn and put a lovely little what name on it. It, it, it stands on my shelf. It's ever so dusty, Marion. You can't be dusting properly. <laughs> she says she's too busy these days. It's a shame, isn't it? But that's yeah, actually filthy. But actually, <laughs> this stands on, on, on a shelf, which isn't dusted very frequently, at our house. But I don't want the sh- that stand bit. This is a ram's horn. I don't think they played it this way. You all know I can't play it, don't you? But just look at it. So the first thing is the ark. The second thing which he's told to do is to have ram's horns taken around the city and blown continually. Did you see that? All the time they were blowing the ram's horns. Now, I honestly cannot get a sound out of this. After 20 years, I still can't do it. Anybody here who plays something like a trumpet or a cornet, could you, so, who can really play one, can try, try and see if you can get a noise sound out of this for me. I hope it will work for you. Do whatever you normally do with a trumpet piece. And see if it, give it a good go. Thank you very much. Much better than I've ever done. Right, but with all due respect to our friend there, there's not a lot of variety to this, is there? <laughs> I mean, this is not something that's going to be really helpful for fatfish later on, unless it's just some, really, they just put one little blast in there to be sort of contemporary or something. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, but basically, it's a pretty, it's like a one-tune thing, isn't it? I mean, I guess with a bit of skill, I, I detected him managing to bring some fluctuation to that. But, but to be honest, it's one tune. And would, that is one of the ugliest things there is, isn't it? I mean, how weird is it? I mean, it's fascinating in a strange sort of way, but it's a very unattractive sort of thing. Now, why am I saying that? Because it is simple. In a way, it's harmless, it looks, and yet it's very, it's not very attractive, and it's very simple, one simple note. What would I say the ram's horn is? I'm going to tell you. The ram's horn is the gospel of the cross, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You will not see Hastings change if you try and complicate the gospel, if you try and dress it up. The gospel is the trumpet we take into every city and town in this country and in this world. 
It may not look very attractive. It may cause embarrassment and awkwardness. People say, you're telling us about a guy who died on the cross 2,000 years ago? All blood and guts, yeah, it's all about blood. That's very... And you say that he bore our sins. You say penal substitution. Yes, I do. He died for my sins. Jehovah lifted up his rod. It fell, O Christ, on thee. You know, he bore my transgressions in his own body on the cross. And that's, that's, that's very clear in Scripture. And that's looked to from the Old Testament with the Passover lamb and others, that he died instead of a person in the house dying. It, you can't get away from it. It's almost ugly. Like, this is ugly. It's not, attra- you know, it's not, it's not cool or trendy. It's sort of ugly. And, and in a way, it's simple. There is one clear, loud note. Let me say to you, we are not going to see breakthrough in our town if we do not keep on preaching the gospel. Keep the notes going. It, it said they continually sounded the ram's horn. That we, we've got to continually preach the gospel. Don't be afraid of its ordinary, rather ugly n- nature. That, it, that it, 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 it seems like, wouldn't it be great if we could get a greater tune out of it? Now, that's what God said. Blow the trumpet. Don't make an uncertain sound. Let it be loud and clear. Whatever your church, you may not all be from Kings, but I also say to you Kings guys, make sure the gospel is central to what you do. We're never going to see the city taken any other way. Don't get embarrassed about its slight crudeness and simplicity. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The cross is central. Don't be embarrassed by the cross. Don't be embarrassed by talking about guilt and shame. Of course, you try and engage with people culturally. Christians did that. Paul did that in the early church. He would adjust how he approached the Athenians as opposed to the Jews in the synagogue. Of course, there is a cultural flexibility, but not with the fundamental message about Jesus' death and resurrection. That is the only way to see the city fall for Jesus. Amen? So the ram's horn reminds us of the gospel. So worship needs to be central, the ark. The ram's horn is we keep on sounding the gospel. We don't avoid it or miss it. The third thing I would find here is their unity. I think that's quite an important one. Let's take a little more care over that. This seems to be a powerful weapon. And I think it's the same for us. I would say to you, as individual church members in a church, first of all, the unity of the local church is very, very important. Some people never seem to be able to march with others. They always want to do their own thing. They can never walk in step with other people. We will not achieve much if we have a bunch of goats butting each other. We do need, without being disrespectful, a more sheep-like approach that you move together following the shepherd. Now, I'm not suggesting that people are blindly following people or throwing their brains away. Anybody who knows me well knows that's not my style or or something I would promote. But I am promoting a healthy unity amongst, first of all, individual church members in your congregation. And then I think we need a measure of unity between the congregations. We are going to do lots of things differently, but when it comes to the gospel, if you are in a church that truly blows the ram's horn, that honestly, honestly preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we stand with you as we look out at the town. This town needs the gospel. It needs it preached as much as possible. 
If it's preached in 20 churches every Sunday morning, that's great. If it's preached in 50, that's even better. As long as the gospel's preached, that's wonderful. We don't want to, dis, uh, to, to, to pull each other down or fight each other. We need a unity so that the battle is truly won. Now, actually, all the people here did very, very well. And when you look at it, the unity is quite important. I think I've got a, yeah, I've got a little, can you put up Joshua 6? I'm giving him a tough time, I'm jumping about. Let's just read Joshua 6. Joshua commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then shout. Now, actually, that was a pretty, I reckon that was a very hard instruction to obey. Again, let me ask you to use your imagination. Imagine you're there. This is a war, for goodness sake. Lots of these guys who just about got healed from their minor operation. They are soldiers, okay? They're soldiers. And what they're told to do is to walk around the city in total silence, listening all day long to that tedious noise (laughs) that's being blown on a ram's horn. I mean, in a funny way, it's not that easy to do, is it? And they're to do it quietly. Goodness knows what was going on from the walls of Jericho. I don't know how close they were there, but obviously it was quite possible. There's no aircraft noise or tractor noises or motorway running by. So it's quite possible people could bawl and shout probably quite rude things to them from the walls. And they were not to go, yeah, they were not to do that. Not to do that. I mean, you can imagine, well, give us another tune. Haven't you got any better than that? You know, I mean, there could be all sorts of things that were not worse than that. And yet they were to just walk together silently behind the presence of God and the ram's horns. And I think there was a power in their unity. Their unity had a power of its own. It showed a community trusting God and his ways. That's powerful saying, we believe it's not every man's opinion for himself and every woman, and it just, you know, I think this, I think that, my opinions are good. Somehow we believe we've got the strategy from God, we believe the Lord has shown us what to do, and we are going to do it. There's a power in that. And I actually think the unity silence was probably a very wise strategy to stop something else. These were normal human beings, and I know if I'd been amongst them, this is what would happen if you were allowed to talk. How many more days are we going to do this? <laughs> I wish they could stop those ruddy ram's horns. Can't we do it without the ram's horns today? And I, what, I'm, I'm fed up with this. And how, what good's this doing? Now, excuse me, but I think most of us would probably end up talking like that. And by the end of the week, it would be a right old rabble of complaints and criticism and moaning and groaning and, yeah, I'm not sure. He said he saw, yeah, I hope he, I hope he saw God, you know. I hope he had had too much cheese the night before. <laughs> a strange strategy, you know. And so, so on and so forth. Actually, we have to be careful that we don't end up just being very critical and very moany. It's very easy to be moany and critical. I know from experience. It's easy to indulge yourself especially if you're feeling a bit stupid or a bit sore. <laughs> and it's easy to indulge yourself in a good old moan. So I think there was a protection and a wisdom in this. They were to just keep silent, do what they were told to do, and not to issue any sound until that last day. 
Can I encourage you to be unified? Now, some of you who are old Hastingsites know I love reading an old, another, I like reading old writers as well, much as new. Another old boy called Pink, A.W. Pink. He's always good for a quote. Here he is. Take you about three hours to read it. Never mind. We're going to read it because it's good wisdom and I need to teach you people, young people to read. Here we go. I'm going to read it to you, right? How often, and it's truth, listen to this, how often are the sinews of faith cut by the injudicious and unfriendly criticisms of those who pose as our Christian friends? How often is the servant of Christ hindered by God-dishonouring counsels and carnal suggestions of other church members? How much mischief is wrought by those perpetually talking about the difficulties that confront us? That's true, isn't it? That's a bit wordy. I wish we could talk like that nowadays. It'd be much more enjoyable. It's all got to be text talk, hasn't it? And Twitters, and it's all got to be said in 20 words. That's how you really talk, like that. <laughs> well, look, injudicious. Who last used that word? Injudicious and unfriendly criticisms. Hey, there's a lot of truth in it, isn't there? This guy is saying, and it's in his commentary on Joshua 6, that's how I found it. He's saying, we need to be careful we don't cut the sinews of faith with our criticism, that we don't end up as doing the enemy's work for him. Can I encourage you, wherever you worship, to support your leaders, to be unified. If you really feel you do not trust these people who are leading you, you don't believe they're here from God, you don't believe they're leading you God's way, then you must seek God if you're in the right place. I'd say that about anybody in any church because you should be able to feel that these are people you're in faith, that they're hearing from God and you're endeavouring to support them in an intelligent and sensible way, I'm not saying blindly, support them in the task of building this church and reaching this city. You ought to be able to do that, and I trust you can. And then we need to be able to support each other. We need a little more support and less cutting of the sinews of faith, even across churches. We need to, particularly those who are preaching Jesus, we need to support our hands, we need to encourage each other and pray for each other and if there's a joint evangelism thing, go for it because that's how we will see a serious impact on the town of Hastings. Amen? Amen. So their unity was part of the, the strategy and finally their faith played a key part in what happened. Now we know this from Hebrews 11. If you could put that up for me, Alad. Hebrews 11, verse 30 says this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. So they were worshippers and they put that first and the presence of God was very important to them. They kept blowing the trumpet with a certain sound. They kept preaching the gospel, bringing it through to us. They were unified. They were going to stick together. They were going to do as they were asked. They realised that their unity was part of the strategy for what they were doing. And it seems to me that they were a people of faith. It was not just the faith of Jericho. It was the faith of the people who marched around Jericho. You know, if we're going to see Hastings taken for Jesus, really impacted with the gospel, we can't have a few bright sparks and all the rest of us are are like dead wood. We need a people of faith. A people who are in faith about the gospel. Who are in faith that Jesus is the answer 
to the needs of our city, of people who've learnt to do their own exploits of faith, of people who've learnt to trust God in their own lives. Now, outward appearances were not encouraging for these people throughout the whole seven days. I want you to notice that. I want you to even notice when they shouted, the walls had not come down. So it could have looked very silly if the walls hadn't come down, couldn't it? Yeah! Oh. No, 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 from the walls. So actually, these were real people of faith. And they saw the walls come down. And it took courage to be people of faith. Faith is linked to courage. There's a lot of things I want to quickly say about faith. It'll be very quick. Faith is not just a feeling. It's not something just rooted in, in you. Faith in faith. It's not something you just work up like positive thinking. Faith ties in to God's word. It ties in to what God said. You see, this faith came from what God had said to Joshua. He had given a strategy. Joshua had words to base it on. And God had said to him in verse 2, actually, see, I have given you the city. Now, that was saying something at a faith level because actually the city didn't look any different. But God said, see with the eye of faith, I am going to give you the city. And Joshua somehow received that with his eye of faith. And we have got to learn, all of us, to be people who are prepared to dig into this book, to read it, to understand it, and to really believe it, to believe the gospel, to believe what it says about who you are in Christ, what it says in those marvellous chapters in Romans 5, 6, 7, what it says in Ephesians, and all sorts of things. People who really get hold of what Jesus has said, what he's done for us, and we believe it. We believe we're new creations. We believe our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We believe if God is for us, who can be against us? We believe that the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We believe that Jesus is alive and has given us the victory. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that when he said, ask and it will be given to you, he wasn't just giving us some wish wish. He was telling us truth. You get hold of the word and believe it. Faith is not in a vacuum. It's not just a feeling. It is focusing on the truth of God. Amen? Now, we have got to be people like that if we're going to impact our city people who've got hold of what God has said and actually believe it. They weren't just hyped up to this. As I think I've said several times, they probably weren't in a very hypey mood for lots of reasons. But they had somehow got hold of the fact God is going to give us this city. God has promised and it's going to happen at the way he has promised. And that's the root of all healthy biblical faith. But it automatically involves courage. Because you begin to move before you see the answer. You really do. You always do. They did here. They're doing all sorts of things when nothing has yet changed. They're marching around it and nothing's changed. They even get to the shout and it hasn't changed. It's after the shout the walls come down. So faith, you cannot short circuit this. You walk by faith, not by sight. Get used to it, brothers and sisters. You're not going to take a town unless you're prepared to walk in faith. You're going to walk in faith about money, about provision, about things God calls you to do, about telling your friends about Jesus, inviting them to Alpha, about praying for the sick. Uh, Oh, 101 things. Well, you've got to walk in faith. 
It isn't going to be always comfortable. You're not going to see it properly. You're not going to see it with your physical eyes until you've seen it with your spiritual eyes. You see it with your spiritual eyes and you follow it and one day you see it. They see I've given you the city but for seven days nothing changed at all and then the city fell. Amen? That is faith. It needs courage. It needs patience. They were patient. I take my hat off them if I had one on. They did do what they were required to do and it required patience to be honest, marching around I don't know what they made, it was hot sunny day like today probably and they marched around with these wretched ram's horns, I mean going in their ears you think wow they were patient, what real faith is patient real faith is because you know God is going to do something it's real, faith and patience leads to you inheriting the promises remember that brothers and sisters don't get impatient, stick with a thing, God has got plans for Hastings He's already on the move. Don't give up on it. Don't think, well, you know, it hasn't... No, no, keep going. Keep blowing the hot ram's horns. Keep seeking the presence of God. Keep unified. Keep praying. There's lots of other things we could say. I'm choosing these four. And look for God to give you the breakthroughs. They will come. There's assurance in their hearts that God will do what he said he'll do. So I believe when they shouted... It was not a half-hearted thing. It wasn't a mechanical obedience. It came out of their faith. Hebrews, we've seen it, tells us that the whole community was in faith. The people were in faith. And that was a shout of faith. It was a confidence. God has given us the city. And real faith is like that. Of course, the final thing to say is faith always works out in action. You see, God had given them the city, verse 2, see I've given you the city, but they didn't sit in a deck chair for seven days waiting, well, he's given us the city, let's see what happens. They had to do stuff. That's always true of faith. Faith always has an action. Faith and obedience go together. Faith and patience go together. Faith and boldness or courage go together. Faith and obedience go together. You need to be in faith to live God's way at work, not to cut corners, in home, in sexual morality, in telling the truth, in worshipping God, in building community of Christians, being church, in a myriad ways you believe it and you do it. Amen? That is real faith. It is always manifest in obedience. I believe we are called to see real real spiritual strongholds fall in Hastings. I think, Hast I think every city, every town, has particular spiritual strongholds. And I think Hastings has some that you could, you could define. I probably won't do it right now. I'm just thinking as I do, because I'm not sure I'm right, but I sense there are certain things that hold people in particular bondage and particular despair and particularly make it hard for them to respond to the gospel. But I don't think we spend our time analysing the strongholds. We need to spend our time working on the strategy that answers the strongholds, which is that we are very strong on being worshippers, having the manifest presence of God amongst us. We love worshipping, we worship in spirit and in truth, we look for God to be all over us when we're worshipping because we want his presence. We are very clear that we are going to keep sounding the gospel. It may not look particularly attractive, it may not fit 
much modern thinking, but it ain't about old-fashioned. It's timeless. It's not one fashion or another. It is the timeless trumpet of hope, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we will keep blowing it. We will stay unified. We will stay together in our small companies of soldiers, if you like, the small local churches. We will stay together as long as we feel any faith at all that God's got us in the right place. We will work together as much as we can, particularly when it comes to the gospel. We will endeavour to support and honour each other and pray for each other as we try and take the city for Jesus. And we will be a people of faith. We'll believe God and trust his word that he will break through in our day and in our generation. Now, I've deliberately talked about the city and the town because that's my main burden tonight. But the principles I've talked about have application even for your own Jerichos, your own walled-up cities that you face. Some of you have got personal challenges. Try and apply some of it to yourself because it will be the same. It'll be issues of putting Jesus first, of being a worshipper, hearing from him before you try and just try your own ideas on it. And then learning to still look for his presence, learning to, to bring the gospel truth to it and to work, perhaps pray together with others, but also to learn to be in faith. What has God said in his word that you can get hold of? So that's just to remind you that the principles apply to you individually. My big burden, as I hope you've got, is that we are to see Hastings massively changed by the gospel. Do you know, I honestly believe that God wants to do that. that I, I, I do. Ten years, I might have moved away. It's still a, a prayer, but I know God's on something at Hastings. I, I mean, I think this is only a tiny thing, but what God's done with us, we started off with a dozen people in 1970s, and, 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 and how God's, what he's done with very, very ordinary, limited people it's not about somebody being clever. It's about something God's doing on a wider front. Amen? Now, that's not an us like we're special. Please don't mishear me. I, I want to encourage you. I want to say there are shoots. This is a different situation to 30, 40 years ago where God's on the move, but there's so much more he's got for this town. And we really want to see the whole city shaken with the gospel. And some of the strongholds of fear and low self-worth and poverty and doubt and uncertainty and, 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 and even some more gross things that hold people in bondage, we want to see them broken open and indeed destroyed. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I think I just want to pray briefly for the town and then I want to to call you forward, maybe we've got. Oh, have we got a worship song at the end or two? Is that okay? Or had you not expected that? You okay? Okay, let me just pray for the town first, and you, if you come up and just uh, get yourselves while I'm praying. Let's just pray for the. Uh, you know, if you're, and I'm sure you mostly are, if you're local to this town, you have an interest in this. So just join me and amen my prayer. Lord, I come to you. Father, you know we love the 100,000 people around us in Hastings. And Lord, you know that the vast majority of them, as we stand here tonight, are in darkness. They're in the dominion of darkness. They haven't a clue about the hope of the gospel. I don't know what percentage it is, Lord, but I guess it's high in the 90% who are in 
darkness spiritually, who don't know you, Lord Jesus, don't know the hope and the forgiveness and the cleansing and the restoration and the wholeness and the eternal life and the fun and the glory of being in your kingdom of light and love. And Lord, we want you, in your mercy, to save thousands of our fellow Estonians. Save thousands of them, Lord. Lord, would you stretch your arm out and bless every church that preaches the gospel. Every church in Hastings and St. Leonard's that preaches the gospel, may they see the most fruitful 12 months from now on. May they see the most fruitful 12 months they've ever seen preaching the gospel. May we all see people saved, young and old. May we all who truly preach the gospel see more saved in the next 12 months than we have for decades. I pray, Lord, you just have mercy. You just break out on the people of Hastings. I pray, Lord, you'd show us our individual strategies, show us what it means for us to be focused on worship and and, and, and united around the gospel and all the things we talked about. But, Lord, will you do it, please? Because it's your battle. It's your war, Lord. It's not ours. Just like here, Lord, it's, it's you and your army that won this one not Joshua and his guys. And Lord, you're going to have to do it because we can't make anybody a Christian. We can't break through Satan's blindness by just our clever arguments, even if we've got clever arguments. Lord, will you from heaven stretch your hand hand out and move in power in Hastings and bless the people of Hastings and release the people of Hastings and heal the people of Hastings. May the kingdom of God come with salvation and deliverance and healing and restoration. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Let's applaud him for a moment. Thank you, Jesus.